Good morning, saints, the saints of God, gathered together to worship, to get into His Word. What an amazing time we get to have. We return to Revelation chapter 19 this morning as we have gotten into a different feel, if you will, in the book of Revelation. In, in one sense, it's, it, it's like the judgments that we have been covering for the last several months for all these chapters are, are, are done away with, are, are now past, and now we have the hallelujahs that are bringing in heaven as we learned last week. And these hallelujahs that are ringing in heaven come from the people of God. And they are made up of the saints. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, that's us. And the tribulation saints, which I hope none of you are. But if you are, (laughs) then you will be there. But you could be a New Testament saint and not have to go through the tribulation. Anyways, and these hallelujahs also come from the 24 elders and the four living creatures that we have seen before. And we see that these 24 elders and these four living creatures are before the throne of God. And they do what they do best, and that is worship God continuously all the time. And so we're, we're in Revelation chapter 19, we will be covering from verse 7 to verse 10, but let's start off in verse 1 as we begin to read this morning. It says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged her uh, on her the blood of his saints shed by her. Again, they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his saints, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, who have the testimony 
of Jesus. Pray, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let us just quiet our hearts before the Lord and you just pray and ask the Lord to speak to you. Speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look back, and I, I know I just told you that we're going to start in verse 7, but I just kind of want to just touch on verses 6 and 7 because the last hallelujah that we had in verse 6 that we looked at last week goes right with the portion of Scripture that we are covering this morning. In other words, it just kind of flows together as this hallelujah rings out in heaven um, saying to God, you know, praise the Lord for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The all-powerful God, um, that the, 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 us, the saints, get to worship and praise has, has brought about a closure, if you will, of all that the world system consists of. Everything that we in this world look at, the way, the way this world functions, has, the way it's been functioning from the beginning. You know, we sometimes think that today is worse than ever, and it's not, man. It's, it's been bad before this world as a whole. At, at one point, even in Genesis chapter 6, uh, God brought the flood and, and, and judged the whole world, and only eight people survived it. So it's not the worst of the worst, but when we get to the tribulation time, it will be the worst of the worst because it's never going to be like that. It's never been nor ever will be like it will then. But in the end, when all of that is finished, God will have brought this, this world system that we know to a close and he brings about a celebration. So in essence, this great multitude is saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, let us, re let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. Give Him glory for what is about to come about. That's what we're going to give Him glory. And so the scene in heaven that we have this morning that we're looking at is, is, is a scene of gladness and rejoicing. Again, quite a different feel from what we covered a couple of weeks ago as we were closing off chapter 18 of Revelation. As we saw that, that this whole thing is just coming to an end. And, 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 and so all of a sudden, what, what, what we saw was that everything in chapter 18 was closing up here on earth. And, and there was gladness and, and rejoicing nowhere to be found. Because when you go back to that chapter, verses 21 to the end of the chapter, he starts talking, especially in verse 22, where, where, where there would be no more music heard. There would be, there would be no, more, no more artistic kind of craftsmen uh, going on. The, the light is gone and, and even marriage is done away with. All, all those kinds of things that there would be rejoicing and gladness over, that there's, it's nowhere to be found or heard anymore. 
And so we, we get to, to chapter 19, and all of a sudden we start hearing these hallelujahs just ring forth. And then we get to verse 7, and it says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us be glad and rejoice. The word glad means to be cheerful, i.e. clammy happy. I don't know what that means, but that's what the strong said. Clammy happy. <laughs> Happy as a clam. Maybe that's where that comes from. I just realized that right now. Whoa. Happy as a clam. I hope I remember that second service. Man. Okay, to be cheerful. Happy as a clam. But clammy happy or well off. To enjoy a state of happiness and well-being. That, that's what these definitions uh, say about this word glad quite different again from what has happened in the world and and all the destruction and judgment that is coming here we're, we're in a place where it's be glad and then it, it's not just be glad but it says and rejoice and the word rejoice is similar but it carries a little more excitement if you will it means to jump for joy i.e. exult be exceeding glad with exceeding joy, to be extremely joyful, to be overjoyed, to rejoice greatly. I, I, I know I shouldn't do that. I just want to kick my heels up now. Woo-hoo. Because that's what you want to do. You know, you, you, you want to almost just jump off the stage just like, yeah, and just land and and it'd probably break my ankle. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, this is a different feel as we've gotten into chapter 19, where there's hallelujahs, praise the Lord. There's amens. It's like, so be it, Lord. And then we get into be glad, rejoice, all those kinds of things that, that, that now we're getting into the book of Revelation. And you're going, oh, wow. This, I thought it was going to end on a sad note. It's like, no, not at all. We've, we've gotten into this, this place in Revelation where, where again, he, He's shown us the judgment to come, but He shows us the hope that we have within us. And we are to be glad and rejoice in all of that. You see, people oftentimes look at the book of Revelation and like, oh, it's a scary thing. It's like, well, yeah, if you're going to be in it, of course, I would be terrified too. I don't even want to be a tribulation saint. <laughs> I want to be gone when all that thing, all that happens. And so when, when, we, when I read or study Revelation, it doesn't scare me. It just reminds me of what's coming up. It reminds me to be diligent today. It reminds me that I should be praying for the people who, who just continue to reject the gospel that, that maybe one day, just like God did in my life, that He changed my life. That maybe one day they, they too... And so, to me, when I'm reading this, I want to rejoice. I want to be glad because of who He is. And so we are to be glad and we are to rejoice, but not just to rejoice and be glad. It's to, be, it's to give Him glory. To give Him glory. In other words, we are to celebrate, or in our celebrating with gladness and rejoicing, and not to forget to ascribe to Him Glory, honor, dignity, praise and worship. That's what we should be doing 
continuously today. Not just when we get to heaven, but today we can be doing that. That should just be part of our life. And so what's the occasion for this gladness and rejoicing and giving of glory? Well, there's a wedding. There's a wedding. Usually weddings are, are a time of rejoicing and, and being glad, unless you're the father of the bride and you have to dish out all kinds of money. <laughs> Other than that, it's like... <laughs> But even in that, man, you're rejoicing, you know? There, there's a time of rejoicing, you know? I mean, very rarely do you ever get to a wedding and there's no rejoicing. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe because I'm Mexican, we go to these Mexican weddings, man, and it just kind of gets crazy. It gets super crazy. Well, just, just to let you know, in the Mexican culture, man, you don't put on the invitation, no children. It's like, <laughs> they're like, no, everybody's there, man. Everybody comes. It's like, try to limit it to, to 200 or 150. It's like, come on. That's just your family. <laughs> and, and, and so there, it's a time of rejoicing, a time to be glad, a time to, to just like celebrate, you know, because of, of this marriage that's, that's about to happen, you know. And, and, and so here we come to, to this time of, of, of gladness and rejoicing and giving glory because it's wedding and it's, the wedding or the marriage of the Lamb has come. I don't know about you, but if you've ever like understood this whole phrase, the marriage of the Lamb, Christians are to be expecting that. Why? You're the bride. You're the bride of Christ. It should be something that's like, heck yes. You know, the bridegrooms are coming. You know, it's a time for rejoicing. This is where Christ and His Bride, the church, are finally together to celebrate. And I know some might be thinking, what do you mean, finally together? I thought the church was already in heaven with Jesus. And, 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 and it's like, well, yeah, the, the church is with Jesus in heaven. And, and there, there, there's been the celebration already because of, of this whole coming together. But, but I need to kind of just walk you through and, and we need to look at this typical Jewish wedding to try to understand a little bit better of, of, of just a lot of the symbolism that has gone on or will go on. Um, and so there's three basic parts in, 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 in this Jewish wedding. And within those three basic parts, there's other things that are just happening, getting ready for this whole celebration. But these three basic parts are the betrothal, which is the engagement, the, the coming of the bridegroom, and the marriage supper that would finish off this whole celebration. And so now with the betrothal or the engagement, the groom and his father, or, or if his father wasn't around, then you took a man of respect, somebody that you respected, somebody of the, uh, of, of the city that's well-respected, you would take the groom and that man would go to the bride's house, to the bride's father. And at that point, you would bring with you an, a, 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 an amount <laughs> a, 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 to, to give her for what she is worth to, to the father and, uh, of, of the bride. And in doing that, now it becomes a legally binding agreement that, that, that there, there is this, this bride's price and sometimes, depending on, on your 
economic status, sometimes that bride's price would be in payments, basically. You're going to pay, pay it off eventually. And sometimes, you, you know, if you were well off, you paid it all as you went to the bride's uh, house to, to pay it off. But there was still some time lapse in between that. And so, so now that you've paid this, this price, um, now you have this contract or this guarantee that this engagement would be fulfilled. And the only way that this agreement back then, the only way would be to get out of it would be by divorce, even though they've never been married, even though they haven't consummated their, their relationship in any way, that, that, that the only way that you can get away from this is by divorce. And this was the state that, we've, that, that, that Mary and Joseph were in, uh, uh, was in when, when she came up pregnant, you know. And, and that's why there was the stigma that was attached to Jesus. Because they, they, this happened before they, were, they, they really had consummated the marriage. And so that's why that big old ordeal happened there. And Jesus was always looked upon as, as being, being illegitimate in that sense. So after the whole betrothal was done, and in one sense it was now a done deal, the groom would go back to his father's house and start an add-on to the house or, or to build a place for his bride. And the bride, in the meantime, she would be making herself ready, getting herself ready, separating herself from all others. Any other suitor that wanted to come is like, hey, don't be a creeper, man. Stay away. She's taken. Get away. And, and hopefully she's not kind of like, flirting around or anything like that but she has been making herself ready for the bridegroom because she knows that that he has paid a heavy price for her and she wouldn't know when he would be coming back but he would be coming back so she would always be in a state of readiness and you see it would depend on just how long he would take preparing the place for her and in the days and weeks and months even that it would take for him to take care of that place over there, as, as, as the time went on, then the time was getting closer that she knew her, her fiancé would be coming for her soon. It would be approaching to come and take her to the place that he's prepared for her. And so you can imagine the the anticipation, the expectation, the, the eagerness of his soon return on the bride's part. And so when it was time for him to come for her, he would come with a procession. He would get the people from his place and come and, and, and take her unto himself. And that's when the celebration starts. That's when it started. And normally a, a wedding like this would be, uh, it, it, would, it would start and, and it would last for at least seven days, more than likely about seven days. Now, sometimes with, sometime within those seven days, of the, uh, the, the, there would be a ceremony that would take place. But normally it would, it, it would wait until the end, towards, towards the end on the last day, and then the true feast. Because they have come together, they have come together as man and wife. Then the true feast would, would, would start afterwards. Because by then, all the invited guests are now, are now there at the marriage celebration. Now, as we have gone through this typical 
Jewish wedding, it, is, it gives us a beautiful picture of Christ and his bride, of what he has done and how he has gone through, through the betrothal, the pain of the, of the price for the bride, the, the sealing of a contract, preparing the place, and now getting to the ceremony and the feast. And I want to give you several, several um, scriptures that you can write down and just kind of go back to, because as, as I go through these different little parts, where, where it says the betrothal, you know, um, in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us to Him or are in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love. The bride's price in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from their aimless conduct received, received the tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. The contract, that, that, that the guarantee basically is from Second uh, Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6, where it says, for, you, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. And then in verse 5 and 6, it says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has, given, who has also given us a, uh, the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident and knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. And so now the waiting period or the, the time to go prepare the place from the Gospel of John chapter 14 to, uh, to, from verses 1 to 3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then the ceremony and the feast takes place right here in our text that we've already covered. But let me read, to you, read it to you again, verses 7 to 9. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And so through all those scriptures that I've just kind of given to you and, and, and shared with you with, uh, in, uh, we, we see that the church has been chosen by God the Father for His Son. And oftentimes in that, in that place back then, the families would make a deal of my son is going to marry your daughter, and so it's a done deal. And so we see that God has chosen, God the Father has chosen this 
bride for his son. And we see that the son himself has paid the price for the bride. The Holy Spirit also given as a guarantee that he would and will fulfill this, uh, this engagement. And in the meantime, Christ, the bride, or, or the groom, is preparing a place for them. On the other side of this whole thing, the bride, the church, is getting herself ready for her groom by staying away from other suitors and from the things of this world, being ready for his soon return because it would be at any time. The next part is the coming of the groom. And here he will come with a procession and, and receive his bride unto himself and take her, take her from her dwelling place to his dwelling place. And there will be singing and rejoicing. Dancing will be taking place. In other words, gladness and rejoicing. What a beautiful picture we have here of the rapture of the church. When he comes with those who have gone before us that will come and, and snatch the bride away, will take her, and, and it says, and we shall be ever with the Lord in heaven. And, and so we get to rejoice in that whole wedding feast as it is about to start. And then it talks about the supper or the party. And you see the feast that will begin upon the arrival of the groom with his bride. And this feast will last for seven days. It was sometime during those seven days, like I shared earlier, that this couple would consummate the marriage and thus finally being together. And this speaks of a true intimacy that we get to have with Jesus, our groom, that we finally get to that place, even though we, we've been in heaven, but now there's this, this special moment that happens that there will be true intimacy. It will be complete and totally fulfilled at the marriage of the Lamb. And then the marriage supper of the Lamb. This will last for seven years, I believe. And it will finish when Christ returns to the earth to set up His kingdom for a thousand years. And the church will be with Him forever and ever, and they shall live happily ever after. You know, marriage is till death do us part, it says, in many of the vows. And there will be no more death at this time. No more death. We will be with our groom forever and ever. And it says in verse 7, and his wife has made herself ready. The church has past tense here, has made herself. It's not going to be or is. It, 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 no, she's making herself ready. At this time, the church is and has been in heaven. And the wife of the Lamb, here as we see her, and especially in verse 8, we see the stark contrast of what we've been looking at in the great harlot. The great harlot, who, who words like fornication, filthiness, has been associated to the great harlot, but not to the wife, not, the, not to the bride of Christ. It's, 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 it's different. 
man, it's almost like this darkness and this light that is happening here. That we see this, this stark contrast from the wife of the Lamb and the great harlot. But she is also to be distinguished from Israel, the nation of Israel, who was the unfaithful wife of the Lord Jehovah in the Old Testament and who will be restored in the millennial time. When when you have time, read Hosea. The whole book is amazing, but chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, where it talks about this restoration that will happen with Israel. And then in verse 8 where it says, and, she, and, it, and, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And the word granted here means to give, bestow, commit. But it's not out of obligation, compulsion, or debt, as in it's owed to her. No, it is given to her as a gift. What is given to the bride or or to the wife, granted to the bride and handed over to the church is the rewards that have gone through the fire. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 12 to, to 15, it says, Now if any man builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's works will be de- uh, become clear, will come become clear, clear. I will get that out. Will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each man's works of what sort it is. If anyone's works which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's works are burned, he will suffer loss. Yet he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. In other words, all that we do as Christians will be tried by the fire. The, the motives behind what, what we do is what that is all speaking of. And so this, this, speak, this verse speaks of the fact that the church, the bride of Christ, has already been through the judgment seat of Christ, which is talked about here in, in 1 Corinthians 3. And the bride has already been arrayed with this fine linen, clean and bright. And it's talking about the righteousness of Christ that has been granted to the church today because we have none of our own righteousness. But it is the righteousness of Christ that is in us which makes us His workmanship. And as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So all in all, we cannot demand these fine linens. They are granted to us. And the righteous acts of the saints is talking about what survives the fire and what comes out of the judgment seat of Christ. It will be these things that survive that will make up our wedding garments on that day. Or in that time. So knowing what we know. (laughs) From what we have just covered. It should encourage us. To continue to draw closer to Jesus today. And farther away from this world. 
so that we can be and can stay as far away from Babylon as we've been talking about this world system as possible. Titus chapter 2, verses uh, 11 to 14, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That should be our desire as the bride of Christ today. Because one day we get to meet our groom. He will come and take us unto himself. And we will be arrayed and it will be granted to us the fine linen, clean and, right, and bright. And then in verse 9, it says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. It's interesting when Jesus was, was with his disciples on that last day, as they sat at the last supper, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And this is that day that he will sup with them. He will finally drink of that cup with them. It is that time. It is that day. The bridegroom and the bride are at the banqueting table. The marriage of the Lamb has taken place in verse 7. In verse 9, here we have another, the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb. The, 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 what happened in the marriage of the Lamb, it, 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 that, that is where the true communion, fellowship, and intimacy has been served up, if you will, and, and, and being enjoyed. And so in verse 9, it says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are these people who are called? Well, I'll tell you who they're not. It is those who have rejected the invitation to Christ. When you, when you read Matthew 22, 1 through 10, where it says that the Father, He, he made this marriage uh, celebration, and He says, go and invite all these people, and all these people are going, too busy. I'm too busy. And finally, he said, well, go out into the highways and byways and bring in whoever so this place may be full. And those who have rejected it now and continue to reject it and die rejecting it <laughs> will not be at this marriage supper of the Lamb. But it says that there are, there are those who, who have been called to be there. And those are the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints that will be a part of this celebration, but they will not be the bride of Christ because they are not called the bride of Christ. Israel is not called the bride of Christ, nor are the tribulation saints. That is designed and that is uh, associated with us, the church, the church age today. We are the ones that are considered to be his bride. 
but they, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, will be able to celebrate with Christ and the bride. The Amplified puts the last part of verse 9 like this. And he said to me further, these are the true words, the genuine and exact declarations of God. In verse 10, he says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See that you do not do that. <laughs> I am your fellow servant and, uh, and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I am sure John was just so excited to see this whole thing playing out. I mean, he's gotten to see everything up until this point, and now he sees this, this banqueting table, he sees the marriage of the Lamb, and he sees the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he gets so excited. And as I was thinking of this, I thought, oh, I know why. He was there at the Last Supper. He was there when Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to drink for this until we are in my Father's kingdom. And John, after all these years that he has still been on earth, he gets to see it. He gets to see all of it. And I'm sure he just got so excited that, that, that he just fell down at the angel's feet and began to worship him. Now, if it was me writing this, I wouldn't have put this in. Or, or I would have made an excuse. All right, somebody tripped me and I fell and it looked like I was worshiping the angel, but I wasn't. But not John. John, John tells us that he actually fell down to worship this, 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 this image, or, or not this image, but this, this uh, angel here. And, and I thought, I, why would you put that in there, John? Because again, I would have just like, I know I'm not worshiping him. I think he kind of just put that in there to remind us once again that he was still just human. That he was so excited that he put his focus on somebody else and something else. Pro probably showing us that, that he did dumb things too, like, like we do. <laughs> again, it's like, no, 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 I tripped. No, he doesn't do that. But I like what the angel does and says. He says, don't do that, man. See that you never, ever do that again. And he puts the focus back on Jesus. Worship him. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about us. And, and it's interesting because oftentimes we can put our focus on others. And others can put their focus on us. And we need to be careful when that happens. Even within marriage. Even with our kids. We need to be careful that we don't honor and worship anybody to that extreme. It's all about Jesus. Put Jesus in that place. Worship God. Oh, it's not like you can't appreciate all these other things and people, but worship God. Don't let anything get on that throne because it's easy for us to do always. And so let us put the focus upon Jesus. It says at the end here, for the testimony of Jesus is the testimony of for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The, the true spirit of prophecy always shows itself bearing, bearing witness 
to Jesus. Any teaching of prophecy that would take our minds and hearts away from Jesus is not being properly communicated. And that's why, again, man, we need to have our focus on Jesus. Now, the, the, the word spirit here is not talking about the Holy Spirit because it's not with a capital S. It's with a small s. And the word in the Greek is, is pneuma, but it starts with a P, so pneuma, I don't know. Pneuma, I think. And it means essence. And essence is defined as the basic nature of a thing. So in essence, this last part of the verse could sound like this. For the testimony and witness regarding Jesus is the essence, the basic nature of prophecy. Again, this is the way we have, or this is why we have prophecy. It is to testify about and to explain who Jesus is. And there is no other purpose for prophecy. All, purpose, all prophecy bears witness to Jesus. Now, this last part as we close, I want to just share with you that I stole from, from Mark Matthews. And I told him that I stole it from him. I could have just not said anything. And, just, and you guys would have thought, man, he's very, very wise up there. It's like, no, I, I stole it from Mark. He probably stole it from somewhere else. But be that as it may, I am going to quote Mark Matthews right now from, from his notes. Quote, And while it is true that the book of Revelation is the book of prophecy, it is not a prophecy about the end times. It is not a prophecy about the Antichrist or the false prophet. It is not a prophecy about Babylon. It is not a prophecy about the seal judgments, nor the trumpets, nor the bowl judgments. It is not a prophecy about the four horsemen, or, nor the two witnesses, nor the 144 witnesses. It is not a prophecy about Armageddon, nor the millennium, or even about the eternal kingdom to follow. No. These are all part of it, but they are not the essence of the book. The book, the prophecy, the revelation is a revelation or a revealing of Jesus Christ, who he is. Of his power and of his majesty and of his might, of his righteousness and of his wrath of his mercy and of his vengeance, of his wisdom and of his strength, of his holiness and of his love, a testimony of all that he is. Close quote. Guys, what an amazing time we get to have as we study the book of Revelation. We have been in it for over a year. I know there's been times that we do other things, but, but, but we have been in it for at least 30-some studies. And, and, and through it all, all of it, I've been trying to just focus our, our attention on who Jesus is. And that's why the series is called Christ Revealed. Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So when we get excited about the book of Revelation because we get to know what's coming down, it's like, no, we should be excited because of who Jesus is. 
because he has promised all these things. He has given us a glimpse of what to look for. And so today, that should excite us to draw closer to him, to press into him, to understand who we are in Christ. You want to know who you are in Christ? Read the book of Ephesians. It'll knock your socks off. And how many times it talks about being in him. And if we can find our identity in him, then we will rejoice and be glad. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can rejoice and we can be glad in who you are. The Bible tells us that we are, we, we, we are to rejoice constantly because this is the day that the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. Every day, Lord, let us be reminded of that, Lord. When, when, when life comes against us, when this world system tries to pull us away, when, when, when the things of this world, Lord, the, the Babylon of this world tries to or wants to commit fornication in our hearts and in our lives and, and pull us away from who you are, that we would remember that we are called for, that, that, that we're engaged to you, Jesus, reminding us, Lord, that we don't need to seek out other suitors, we have you already in our lives, Lord. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Please, I pray for your blessing upon them. I pray that, God, you would just encourage them and lift them up, even through these por- this portion of Scripture, reminding them that one day we will be married to Christ and we will all sit together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, what a wonderful time, Lord, that we can all rejoice. I thank you for the promise that you gave us through your word, that you would not do this until we're all together once again. And so, Lord, come quickly. Oh, that we could start with the rejoicing in heaven one day. We thank you and praise you, Lord. I pray that if there's any this morning who are here who have never, ever given their lives over to you, Lord. Father, if you have chosen them, I pray that they would respond to that choosing right now. As a father... Has, has reached out to them once again this morning as the Holy Spirit is doing the work of drawing men to, them, to himself. I pray that this morning you would draw people to yourself. So if you're here this morning and you need to be drawn to the Lord, he is calling you. I just want to pray for you. I, I, I don't know who everybody is. I don't know if you've been here forever. And, and, and today was the day that you're going, man, I, I've been playing the harlot. I, I need to be back with Jesus. Is that, if that's you, just raise your hand where you're at. And I just want to pray for you. Because again, what an awesome opportunity. What an invitation to be part of Jesus. Is there any? Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord God, that you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, your loving kindness is better than life, it says. And we rejoice. We rejoice greatly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we...